Okay, well, I just want to congratulate you on being very well behaved today. Normally it takes me about five calls for everyone to come back from the break. So um, well done, everybody. All the, obviously all the troublemakers are away, so you guys are clearly well done. Um, so for those of you who have not been here necessarily in the last few weeks we were visiting, we, are, uh, we took a little pause last week where Vahe spoke, but basically we're in a, a series uh, a little mini-series where we're just talking about what kind of church are we called to be. And we did a little bit of this last year, but we're kind of revisiting it again this year. And one of the reasons for that is because whenever you start something new, and definitely when you start a church, and as a church we've kind of existed for, it's difficult to quite know when to pin it down to, but probably in terms of Sundays, about a year and a half, coming no, more than that, coming up to two years in May, in terms of meeting on Sundays and about a year and a half in this building. It's really good to be clear about what kind of church we are and what kind of people we are, because churches can look very similar on the surface, but actually underneath can believe quite different things. And it's not that we're saying we've got it all right and we know everything, because we don't. We haven't got everything right. But it's just really helpful to go, look, this is who we are. This is what we believe. To the best of our ability, this is the kind of culture we're going for. These are the values that are really important to us. This is how we view the Bible. This is how we think about uh, the city. This is what we think about justice. How do we blend looking after Christians and helping Christians grow with the desire to reach out to people who are not believers yet? How do we blend those two things? Do we go for one or the other? And uh, per- both personally, most of the time I'm a both and kind of person. I'm a, we want Christians to grow and we want to reach people who are not Christians. Do we lean into the prophetic or the strategic? I'm pretty much, we try and do both and And we take the wisdom that God's given us and we tap into that and use our brains. But we also say, God, we need you to speak to us and guide us. And we absolutely want to follow you. And so we're often both and. uh, But it's just helpful to try and clarify this is the kind of church we're going for. And in this little series, we've so far we said, look, we are people who believe in the Bible. We're people who believe in the promises of God. We fundamentally go, look, we believe God's spoken through his word and we want to try and be faithful to understanding that. Now, it doesn't mean that we get it all right. There's lots of passages and aspects of the Bible which are difficult to understand. But basically, we we believe in the word of God. We are people, people. In other words, we believe that God calls us together as a community of faith. And it's really important to be connected to a community of faith. And actually, our faith flourishes in the midst of a community of faith. And often we meet Jesus in the midst of those relationships. So relationships are really important to us. People, friendships are important to us. So one of the reasons we do food and coffee and all those things and games is really because we want people to find friends. And we want, because in the midst of those connections, that's often where our faith gets fueled and comes alive. Uh, Certainly that's been my experience. So these are some of the things we've been talking about. And this week I want to talk about that we are a people who believe in the presence of God. So we believe in the word of God, the people of God coming together. And in the midst of the people of God, we believe in the presence of God. And each kind of week we've looked at this, we've jumped basically out of the same passage as our starting point, which is in Acts 2, famous passage, if you know the Bible, 42 to 47, which is this famous description of the early church. And a little, you get this feel for what were they like? And obviously it's a different culture, different time, but you can pick out of here a sense of what does the kind of temperature feel? What were the activities they were involved in that were important? And what do we try and emulate 
in our culture, in this city at this time. So I'm just going to read Acts 2, 42 to 47 again, and then we're going to jump in, and it says this. They, were devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I just wanted to start by telling you a little bit about uh, an auntie I had. Some of you have probably heard me speak about her before, but there was an auntie I had growing up who was a pretty special auntie. Every, mo- every family needs a special auntie, I think. And I had an auntie in my family called Auntie Phyllis. And she was actually my great aunt. She was my mum's auntie. And, uh, and she was just one of those people who was one of my favourite people in our family. I didn't tell my family I had favourite people because that wasn't very helpful. But she was just one of those people. My auntie for this, if you had met her or seen her across the street, was not all that impressive. She lived in a little flat on a council estate in a place called Western Supermare. Anybody ever been to Western Supermare? Sarah has. Victoria, I thought you you didn't live too far away from Western Supermare. Yeah, so Western Supermare is like on the west side of England. It's a seaside town. Apparently it has the sea there, but the sand is so flat and kind of vast that I never saw the sea at any time at Western (laughs) Supermare because it was so far out. Literally, I'm not kidding, it was like just miles of kind of boggy sand. Um, So Western Supermare is not a glamorous place. If you visit England, you don't tend to pick out, I must go to London, I must go to Scotland and visit Edinburgh, and I must go to Western Supermare. It's not one of those places. But she grew up there, um, or she lived there, and we used to visit her. And there were lots of reasons, probably, why uh, well, I had two brothers, so three teenage boys would not necessarily be drawn to an Auntie Phyllis. She was always old, as far as I can remember. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure she must have been young, but when you're growing up, she was just forever, for, to me, she must have always been about 70. I don't know, 75, <laughs> 80, 85, I don't know. But I know, I know she must have been younger once, but she always was a bit older. Uh, which meant she was never that great at running around or playing tennis or throwing balls. She could only see out of one eye. She wasn't great at football. You know, none of those things she, you know. But there was something about my Auntie Phyllis that I absolutely loved. And everybody I knew felt the same way. So the little church she went to, she went to this little Methodist church and this estate. Everybody else seemed to love her. The kids on, on the council estate seemed to love her. My brothers loved her. I think my parents quite liked her as well. I, there was something about her. As she grew older and she couldn't kind of look after herself, she moved into a home. Sarah and I visited her in this home. All the people who ran the home loved her. There was something about being around her. She had a spark. You know those people, you just look in their eyes and there's something alive about them. She had this faith that was real. She, she just kind of emanated something of Jesus and she was just great to be with. There was something about her presence, which when you were with her, everything felt a bit different. In fact, I remember one moment on our family, we used to go to one of the Channel Islands, which is between England and France, much nearer France, but for some reason they're, they're British. I don't know quite how that happened. 
And I remember being on holiday and I was with my grandparents and sadly on that holiday, my granddad died while we were on holiday with him. So it was a very kind of traumatic holiday. But I remember my auntie flying out, who was his sister. And when she arrived, everything felt a bit different to me because she was there. It was something about being around her, which was different. Something about her presence. Gordon Fee, who's, uh, you know, pretty well-known writer, theologian, writes this. Presence, presence is a delicious word because it points to one of the truly great gifts. Nothing else can take the place of presence. Not gifts, not telephone calls, not pictures, not mementos, nothing. Ask the person who has lost a lifelong mate what they miss the most. The answer is invariably presence. When we are ill, we don't need soothing words nearly as much as we need loved ones to be present. What makes shared life, games, walks, concerts, outings, and a myriad of other things so pleasurable? Presence. Presence presence changes everything. And what is humanly true, what resonates about that quote, I think is true spiritually, not that I think we should really separate humanly and spiritually but you understand I think it's true in terms of our faith as well a belief and an experience that God is actually present with us right now tomorrow morning when you go to study or you go to work or you go to be with people or you just get to be at home the actual belief that he is here now with me I don't mean just this kind of belief just a cognitive assent to a truth I mean a heartfelt conviction he is here changes everything now when I was growing up I went to I grew up in a family who were believers so I was very fortunate we used to go to this church uh, which was a really nice church but I kind of grew up with this mindset Uh, I don't know where I got it from but I I grew up with this mental image that God was around well he was alive somewhere but he was very old. He lived a long way away. He had a beard. And he basically, was, he'd kind of checked out. You know, in the sense that he just wasn't, he wasn't involved. He wasn't, con- he, wasn't, he wasn't connected. It wasn't that he was angry. I didn't have this mental image that God was angry. Some people have that picture of God. I, I didn't know. I never grew up with a view that God was angry, but definitely distant. Not really aware of what was going on in my life. And so he was just, he kind of checked out. And then when I was a teenager, I used to go to this youth group. And this youth group, we went through this season of, all I can say is like a kind of remarkable waking up in God in terms of what God was doing amongst us. And I won't go, I've told a little bit that story before. But it was like God did something sovereignly amongst the young people, the teenagers, which woke up part of the church, actually. And the thing that I remember most of all from those days was the fact that thinking suddenly, being in a meeting, going, oh, he's here. It wasn't just, oh, we had to go to church, or we have to get together, or we have to go through the mechanic. It was like, you got in the room, and it's like, what's he going to do today? <laughs> That's what I remember. That was the deposit in my heart, was like, he is here. And that, I want to suggest, changes absolutely everything. Because it, it moves it moves faith from being something that we do mechanically because we feel like we ought to 
or feel like we're committed to, and there is a degree of we are committed to things and sometimes we do do things because we ought to, because we don't always feel it, right? So it's not that those things are wrong, but it shifts that from a sense of, oh, wow, what is going to happen and what is he going to do? He's here right now. It was utterly transformative, I would say, in my life. Faith, if in other words, became alive because, I be- because in the middle was I became aware he's present. He's not absent. He hasn't checked out. He is absolutely attentive to me. It was interesting. I was chatting to, to Story and Victoria, and Victoria said to me, hey, the, the kind of fish tank's changed. I was like, has it? I've kind of, I just ignore the fish tank. I know it's one of our finest features. And a, and a huge reason why anyone joins us is because we have a fish tank. But I just kind of like ignore the fish tank. Victoria's like, no, have you noticed? Like they cleaned it up and there's new fish and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I didn't even see it. I'm just completely unattentive. But the presence of God in my history and in my life and that experience that suddenly shifted God from being away and unattentive to very attentive. He is absolutely attentive to me and to you and it changed everything and I think it changes everything in the church and I certainly think when you read Acts and you read Acts 2 and you read on what happens in Acts is a big part of what happens is because they experience and believe in God is present right now by his spirit what else causes you to give your stuff away generously or to commit to one another or to reach out to people, or to pray for people, or what, what do, who does that? Well, I think a, a sense of, he is here. What's he going to do? And so part of what I believe we are called to, or what we believe we are called to being, is called together as a people, friendship, connection, community, where we believe in the word of God, and we believe in the presence of God as well. That If you like brings the word of God on, to, if like, on fire in our hearts. Something of his presence breathes on. So we're word and spirit people. And, and at times, I haven't got time to do, a, we're not going to do a big overview, but at times in church history, it's as if sometimes we've forgotten that God is present. Certainly the church I grew up in, which I'm very grateful for, we didn't even mention the Holy Spirit. If they asked you, do you believe in the Trinity? People say, oh yeah, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I believe in all three of those. Did we ever mention him? I don't remember anybody ever mentioning him. Like, I just didn't. Who is the Holy? And we used to sing hymns talking about the Holy Ghost, which is this weird kind of slightly scary sounding guy when you were a kid. But I remember we had different children's age groups in our church. You know, the real little ones and the ones a bit bigger. And, then, and we will, I'm sure one day we will have all those things as well. But in my church, they did this thing where after two or three years in this age group, you moved up to the next one. And they literally <laughs> cued us. We, we stood on that side of the church and they'd call your name out and you'd go to that one and you'd join this new group. I, this, I was remembering it this morning. And it was quite sweet. You'd join the next group and then you'd get a bit older and join the next one. And I remember joining one group. I can't remember what it was, but I was probably about nine or ten. And as I moved group into this new kids age group in my church, they gave me a book. And it was called uh, A Mighty Rushing Wind. And it was basically a kind of kid's storybook about Acts and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. <laughs> For a church that had never mentioned the Holy Spirit, it was like putting dynamite in my hands because I actually read this book. <laughs> and I wasn't a big reader. And I'm like, they literally gave me a book about the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
you know, so it's quite funny looking back. I'm very grateful for my background. But it was like, here's a book about the Holy Spirit. Bang! <laughs> and God started to do something in my heart. But this is not a new story. This is the story. One of the big stories of the Bible is the presence of God. We were, you know, again, we haven't got time to get into this. But you read the creation story. We're made to be in his presence, to know him, to orbit our lives around him. Adam walks in the garden. There's this picture of intimacy and communion with God. And that's, we're made for that. Something about us comes alive in that. And obviously sin enters the world, brokenness, shame comes. And with that comes separation. We are cast out. We cannot be in his presence because of our brokenness. And so something and someone that we were made to be with We're broken, we're estranged, and whilst human beings survive, in effect, we begin to die. Because we're made to be with him. And part of the salvation story is this restoration of God rescuing us from our sins and back into an experience of intimacy and closeness and his presence. So you read through the Old Testament, you'll find moments when the Holy Spirit comes on particular people at particular times certain prophets certain groups of people they experience the spirit and it's this person this moment in this at this place at this time but they're like kind of quite unique experiences and then you read the people of israel as they you know get out of egypt they get out of slavery which is this mirror of us being able to get out of sin slavery into new life with jesus and as the people go they start to experience something of the presence of god there's the fire and the cloud And Moses is like, we're not going to go without your presence. How will we look any different unless we go with your presence? We have to go with you or we can't go. And so you see kind of examples of it. And then further on in that story, obviously God says, well, build me a a tabernacle, a tent. Put, Put the tabernacle, the tent in the middle. And obviously God doesn't really live fully in a tent, but something of it, his presence is in that place. And he says, put all the other tents around facing that tent and I will dwell tabernacle in the midst of you. And that's why in John 1, Jesus says, you know, Jesus comes and dwells amongst us. The word for that is tabernacle. It's this picture. Now I'm going to come and fulfill what, you, what your, your history was in the Old Testament. And the tabernacle is replaced by the temple. And obviously, if you fast forward into the New Testament, we are described as the temple. Your, your body is the temple, and the people of God are the temple. So you get this picture building of a restoration of an experience of God's presence. And one day, obviously, one day when Jesus returns, if you like, there'll be a, a complete experience of his presence. We will be in his presence fully. So we live in the now, but the not yet fully of an experience of his presence. And obviously, Throughout the Old Testament, you get these prophetic promises that this, there's going to be a pivotal moment in church history when we experience his presence more fully than we have done so far. And that is what Joel prophesies in Joel 2. I'll read it to you. Some of you will know this. It says this. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old man will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that is a prophetic promise that we see fulfilled at Pentecost in Acts and Peter actually quotes it in his in his preach so what is prophesied now in Acts you see suddenly there's this pivotal moment where the spirit of God Jesus says I'm going to send another it's better I go and I send him so this pouring out of the spirit on men and women all nationalities 
all peoples, not just particular people at a particular time, but now all people who come to Jesus can experience his presence. And it births not just spirit-filled people, but a spirit-filled church. And we're meant to be, we're called to be spirit-filled people and spirit-filled church. In fact, I just don't think we get to walk out our Christian faith without being spirit-filled. I think that's who we are. So for the remainder of this, path, uh, this message, I just want to talk about four different implications of what that means for us, individually and as a church, to know and experience the presence of God. Okay, so four different ones. And I'm just hoping that aspects of this will really resonate with you. And then at the end, we're just going to pray. And I would love us to pray with one another. And there's no pressure to do that if you feel like I don't really want to. That's okay. But I would, I would urge you, say, yeah, I'd love someone to pray with me. So here's the first one. God's presence means peace. It means we can know peace in a really significant way. Um, some of you know we have a dog. And uh, his, the great love of Sarah's life is our dog. There's a degree of irony in that comment, by the way. And um, we had her since a puppy. And uh, so <laughs> I used to, you know, you take your dog out at night time so she can go to the toilet, fine. And I remember taking her out into our garden or trying to get her to go out as a puppy into our garden to go and do her thing. And it was dark and she wouldn't go. She was like, no, it's dark. I mean, she didn't say that to me because it's not that <laughs> clever. But you could tell she would not go out, okay? But as soon as I went out in the dark, she was completely fine. She was, happy. she was as brave as anything simply because she wasn't alone. So she was very happy to go out. And I'm like, this dog is like, like no, I'm not going out in the dark. Oh, you're here. Fine, I'll go. And something about presence makes a huge difference when it comes to fear. Yeah? I don't know if you get fearful. I've found moving country has made me far more prone to being fearful. It's really weird. I'm, I've always felt I'm quite a relaxed person. Right? But actually, moving country and all the kind of uncertainty that comes with that has made me far more likely to feel anxious about stuff and to have to battle with that a little bit. But presence makes a huge difference when it comes to the issue of fear and anxiety. And if you read through the Bible again and you look for promises where it says, do not fear, do not fear, do, you know, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Why? Because I'm with you. And pretty much, well, most of the time you find, do not fear, you'll find with it, I'm with you. Do not fear, because I'm with you. I was reminded this week, just Philippians 4, which is this famous passage about peace, and we pray for peace, and we pray for each other. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's this beautiful promise that as we pray, we can know peace. And that's often what I pray for people or what I remember. But if you know that passage, you'll know that just before it, there's a little phrase. Does anybody know what it says just before? Just before it says, the Lord is near. That's the phrase before this passage. It says, rejoice in all situations. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Something about anxiety and fear has to bow down in the presence of that Jesus is with us. Maybe today, what you most need to know and you most need to hear again and to sense right in your heart is that he's near. He's not distant. 
He's not asleep somewhere. He is right with you. And you're not alone. And maybe today that's what we need to pray for you. A sense of revelation again that by his spirit, he is with you. And you're not alone. Here's the second thing. Presence, I think, means God's guidance in our lives. God's guidance. We face so many questions, so many challenges, so many kind of choices. So many times we need wisdom. And then again and again, when you read the story of the the early church, what you'll see is they are guided by a sense of the presence of God. Something of the Holy Spirit's wisdom guides them in their decision-making. Who they get to do different roles in the church, where Paul does and doesn't go on his missionary journeys, all those kind of things are not just like, oh, we'll just make a strategic plan. No, no, no. Something of God's presence guides them into their decision-making. And it really means, I believe, as a people, as a church, as we plant this church, we want to be that kind of church as much as possible that says to Jesus, Lord, what is it you want for us? What do you have for us? When it's interesting, when you plant a church, and I've come from a, a church which is like a, if you like, a highly strategic kind of church, great, very effective, and there's lots of things I loved about it. Um, but it's interesting, when you plant a church, lots of people, other leaders will say, well, what's your vision? What's the plan? What's the five-year plan? What's the ten-year plan? And I, I, in a slightly embarrassed way, I have to kind of go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't, he hasn't really told us. And there's nothing wrong with five and ten years plans. That's my history as well. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's not a, I don't think we should abdicate responsibility for planning and thinking and all those things. Those are important things. But there's also a sense in which we go, God, what have you got for us? All I know is he's called us here. He's called us to start something. And know, if you like, the heartbeat of the kind of people that I think God wants us to be. But what that means, what that means in terms of one church or more churches, I don't know. What that means in terms of what happens in the future, you kind of go, but I do believe he will show us as we go. And that's probably enough for me. Because we want to be guided by him. We want to say, God, what have you got for us? Where are you leading us? What is your plan? What, What is on your heart? Where are you already working? And we want to get involved in what you're doing. Rather than, I've got my plan, could you come and bless it, please? And there's a little, you know, we have to be humble about that. But God wants to guide us. It means that when we gather together, we are open to him speaking to us. It's not like, well, here's the plan for the morning and that's it. It's not, no, no, what does he want to say? Has he got something for us, particularly this morning, that he wants to say? And it means, individually, that I believe we can be open and looking for God to guide us. Now, I haven't got time to go into loads of stories, but I'm going to tell you a couple of quick stories. Sarah and I have been through lots of change in these last few years, but there have been so many moments where God has spoken to us, sometimes through other people, through their wisdom, sometimes through things we've read in the Bible, sometimes in our own prayer times, sometimes just prophetic words that have come which have been remarkable and have been confirmed by other ones. But let me just tell you about one. This is a few years ago. We were living in our house. We had a house in London, and friends of ours were moving to Bahrain. They had a bigger house than ours. We have four children. And they basically said to us, do you want to have our house for the next five years? We're moving to the Middle East. And we're like, ah, that could be amazing, because that would be loads more space. But I was a little bit reticent about it, because I thought, this sounds like a lot of hassle. I've got to rent our house out. I'm not sure. Sarah was probably down the line quicker than me going, that'll be fine. I was a little bit more, I don't know. And I was grappling with this a little bit. 
And then we, that Christmas, in the midst of the con- this kind of like decision-making process, I get a Christmas card from a guy that we used to be in our church, a young guy, probably only 19 at the time, who'd been in our church, done a bit of training, and then moved on and was living in another part of England. And he sent us a Christmas card. It's the most remarkable prof- Christmas card I've ever had in my life. He just writes all these normal, normal, normal things. Right? He doesn't know anything about our situation. He doesn't know anything about the grappling in my own heart about our house move. Should we move? Should we not? But this is what he wrote in the card, and I'll just give you a little extract. Dear Finisera, as I've been writing this card, I felt God put a phrase in my heart. Take from it what you will. He says, and I quote, the house is perfect, just jump. I don't know what that means, but I just pray as a promise over you guys that he will bless you in this season beyond your wildest dreams. And I'm reading this card, I'm like, he knows, like God knows just the normal stuff of our lives. It was just the most remarkable prophetic Christmas card. I've, I've never had anything else like that ever in my life in terms of like a card, a Christmas card. Uh, but it was remarkable. I remember looking, showing it. So read this message from Tim. He didn't know anything. God wants to guide us. Let me tell you about one other. Part of our move here was, you know, God, are you calling us here? And there, we have lots and lots of stories about God speaking to us in the move. But Sarah came here three weeks before I did with our two boys because they had to start school. And I was back in the UK about to take our daughter to university. And we had joined like a course on Zoom about the prophetic and with somebody we know, Wendy. Those of you who've met Wendy, man, Wendy was running this group. And uh, the first week of the group was just a kind of like, it's put about 30, 40 people in this Zoom call. They had a little team who'd been praying for different people. They didn't, their team didn't know me and they didn't know anything about our situation, nothing. Anyway, one of the ladies, they're going, oh, has anybody got any prophetic words for anybody on the screen? So you're kind of wondering what's going to happen. One of the ladies, I think her name was Jo, picked me out. So I'm sitting on this, I was sitting on my iPad in London, probably in a house on my own that we're about to leave, or I'm about to leave, Sarah's already here. And I'm feeling in my heart the tension of moving, leaving two of our kids, dropping our daughter at university. I'm feeling the cost of that and the kind of, the pull of that. And again, many of us, if you've moved country, which most of us have, will know that. Paul. Well, this lady picks me out, and this is the word she brings over me. She goes, Phil, because she saw my name on the... I sense God saying, he's bringing you into a new season. I'm thinking, you have my attention. (laughs) There are some things which you have laid down or in the process of laying down, and it's a season of reprioritizing. It may be hard to move on from your current responsibility because of the amazing relationships you have built, But the Holy Spirit is saying in capitals, I am leading you. I am in this. You've invested well and seen fruit in people's lives and will go on. You may feel uncertain about the future, but have confidence to move forward because, in capitals, I am with you and have more for you. And then she wrote this extra. She sent this to me the next day. As I spoke this out, Phil, last night, I sent the Father's heart for you, Phil. And he was clearly saying, (laughs) this is the bit that really makes me laugh, come on, Phil. It's going to be okay, trust me. (laughs) I just found it incredibly encouraging. Because he knew the kind of anxiety and the cost and the fear and the vulnerability that I carried around it. He just knew. So he picks me out and goes, it's okay. You know, it's amazing. 
Here's the third thing. Presence means power. You read the New Testament, there's undoubtedly there's power. Okay? Now, I, just to say, I believe in common grace. In other words, I believe that God gives gifts to people who are not believers, medical gifts. So if you're sick, go and see a doctor. Okay, I believe that's important and wise. Okay, I believe in the gifts given to people like that. I believe in counseling and, you know, people getting psychiatric help. I, can, I believe God can bless and use all those different avenues. Absolutely as well. I have a kingdom theology, which means I, I can understand at times God breaks in and other times we don't see God do what we hope he's going to do, but one day fully we will see it. So I can give you all the reasons why at times we don't see healing. <laughs> I can, I'm pretty good theologically about why I don't always see people getting healed. But undoubtedly, I cannot get away from the fact that where God's presence is, there is breakthrough. And we can pray for healing. We can pray for deliverance. We can pray for freedom. Because that is part of the sign of the kingdom breaking in. It doesn't always happen fully. It doesn't always happen the way we want. Sometimes it doesn't happen seemingly at all. But sometimes it does. And it seems to me we are to lean into an expectation that is here. So some of you will know we had this prayer meeting, I don't know now, two or three months ago. There's about 10 or 12 of us in the room. It's a pretty small little gathering. We're in the middle of Rotterdam. There's no musicians you know, well, we don't, well, I guess I was there, but we don't, we don't play any, there's no atmosphere, in other words, okay? There's no atmosphere, there's no hype, there's, there's nothing impressive about us, we're just gathering, and as we pray, it does feel like, it just feels like God's here. And then, and then Helen kind of wanders over to me and goes, I think I've been healed. <laughs> and I'm like, that can't be right, we haven't even prayed for you, that's not right. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> He only does that when we... No. And so then, she, you know, she shares about her knee, how God spoke, said, just kneel down. She, you know, Helen's hurt her knee skiing, suddenly able to kneel down in a way that you've not been able to kneel down for months and months and months. And then we go, well, like, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, we hadn't even asked. Just being... And then we say, well, Helen, you know, well, who else is sick? Chilla goes, well, I've got... Is it your hand? So we get Helen to pray for Chilla's hand. And then two weeks later, Chile comes to me and goes, I don't even know if your hand got healed. She goes, I've had a back issue for over 20 years uh, where I haven't been able to get up in the mornings normally. Now it's all gone. 20 years of back. And I just checked with Chile. Are you still healed? She goes, yeah, I'm still healed. <laughs> I thought I'd better just check. Just like, I mean, no atmosphere. No, no kind of like, no nice pad sound from the keyboard. No smoke machine. <laughs> Like he, if he's here, he can do that. Yeah. And we want to be people who, who lean into that. Yeah. Without necessarily quickly giving all the reasons theologically why that doesn't always happen. But we know it doesn't always happen, right? We understand that. But we also want to lean into asking for, praying for signs of the kingdom to break in now. Okay. Yeah. Can I just add something? Absolutely. Thank you. It's great to hear stories about physical healing, but I think as well, I think as a church, we've also experienced people getting healing from past hurts, past pains, or ways they've walked in life, like almost with a bit of a limp, because they believed something about themselves, which isn't in line with what God says. So I think we want to believe God for physical healing, but actually also for like emotional healing, and from the breaking off of lies and beliefs that people walk with. And so I think that's something we want to continue to press into that he died to set us to set us free and sometimes that's from our own background and experiences as well yeah yeah no, really good 
Okay, lastly, very quickly, a, bit, a little bit longer than I want to be, and we're going to just pray. His presence means I think it's possible to actually live it out as a Christian and flourish as a Christian. So some of you have been to our house. We live on a beautiful street in the north of Rotterdam, and right in the middle of, sort of down in between the two kind of roads is a river. Well, I don't know if it's a river, but it's water. And there's trees on either side, and there's life in the water. That's where all the ducks and all those... That's where, you know, when it's frozen, people skate on it, kids play in it, our dog sometimes even probably wants to jump in it. There's life there. And if you read through the Bible... Where there are rivers, there are lives. You know, the, the Bible is written in a kind of dry, arid scenario. And water is pretty much always a sign of life. And Jesus says in John 7, Come to me, all of you are thirsty, and I will make streams of living water flow from within you. Something of the river will flow within, from within you. And rivers in the Bible, in, in Eden, in Revelation, in Psalm 1, are always a sign of life and blessing. Revelation 22, it's going to be, you know, the tree of life on both sides of the river. It's going to be for healing of the nations. There's life and healing in the river. And I I just think, I just want to encourage you. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus says in John 7, like, it's going to to be within you. So you kind of think, well, I can be a Christian when I'm I'm here, but going back out to work is hard. And Jesus goes, well, that's why I put a spring in you. Imagine living in a village where there's no water and you have to walk for 10 miles to get water. Imagine someone coming and building a well right in the middle of your village. It would life change your life, wouldn't it? Well, Jesus goes, well, I'm going to put a spring right in you. Right in the middle of you, right in the middle of us, is something of his presence. Because where the river is, there's life. So part of flourishing and growing as a Christian is believing in and relying on the presence. Galatians 5, Paul goes, look, walk by, live by, be led by, walk in step with the spirit that's how you do it you lean into him ask him listen to him be attentive to what he's saying so we want to be people of his spirit and people of his presence so i just want us to pray okay and i'd love us just to maybe stand if that's okay